Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 11 of the Parenting Aces podcast, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and we have back with us this week one of my favorite coaches, Todd Whittem, to talk about how you know whether to take the college tennis path or the professional tennis path. Todd shares some great insights and some great markers to look for when making that decision. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. Just a quick reminder, if you haven't already, we'd love for you to sign up to become a premium member of Parenting Aces. You can do that on our website, parentingaces.com. Just click on the join button on the top right. Also, if you would like to have a personal consultation with me, you can sign up for that through our website as well by clicking on the shop tab on Parenting Aces com and choose your poison. I would love to meet with you. I love working with families, helping them through this junior tennis, college tennis journey and offering insights and just really basically offering support as you make the difficult decisions while your child is going through this. So I hope you'll take a peek. Meanwhile, I want you to sit back, relax and enjoy this week's podcast with coach Todd Whittem. Hey, Todd, it's 2022, your first visit back to the podcast this year. Glad to get you back earlier in the year rather than later. But yeah, it seems weird that we're already a few weeks in and this is your first appearance. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I don't know inviting me back. I'm trying to invite myself. <laughs> <laughs> We've just become so popular. I don't know what to say. <laughs> it's hard to get on your show now. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's nice to know that so many people want to come on and talk junior and college tennis and share information with the parents and junior coaches out there. And, you know, I'm thrilled that we're getting such a variety of guests now, but can't ever forget about our longtime regulars like you, Todd Whittem. So thanks for coming back on. And we've got a pretty interesting topic of conversation today. Yeah, so I think I think it's a good one, you know, especially with uh, a young man from the United States, Bruno Kuzuhara, who uh, who grew up not too far from where I trained my students. But actually, I think I've only seen him hit one time at a junior tournament, never saw him compete. But, you know, I see results of juniors, you know, all across the country uh, and see how they're doing. And, uh, you know, he just won the Australian Open junior uh, singles and doubles. So very yeah. impressive. Very yeah. Good. And, and as I was sharing with you before we went on air, I got to see him play at the Easter bowl last year in San Diego and he's a fun one to watch. So yeah. Very good. Very good. And I and he also became the number one junior in the world. That so. is true. Very, very good. Very yeah. impressive. Very fun. exciting. Yeah. So let's talk about this pathway of 
either going to college or turning pro and what it takes and how do families make the choice and the decision? What are some milestones that kids need to pass in order to make that decision of going college or going pro? And you know, what's involved in taking your kid to those high levels of our sport? Sure. Well, there's a lot involved. And I think this is going to be an excellent show for the parents to understand, you know, what, what, what is this really about, you know, professional Mm -hmm. tennis? First of all, it's your profession. Okay. And every single thing that you see a professional tennis player, you know, do on a daily basis, it's to help their career. Mm-hmm. right? They are all in the ones that are the top in the world that you see, but then there's a whole bunch that, that are struggling to make it. I was one of those, right? It was very, it was very, very tough, but I was on a great path. And, and really, you know, first and foremost, the results, they, they say whether that particular player, male or female is on a track to become a professional, right? Whether it's, you know, whether it's, you know, you're, you're a great junior in your country or you're high ranked or you're one of the best juniors in the world, or maybe you're, you know, the top couple in college tennis on paper, it says whether you're on a great track, but you know, there's a lot involved to becoming a professional player and having really a thriving career in professional tennis. Well, so let me ask you this, because we talk a lot on Parenting Aces about the fact that we shouldn't focus on results. We shouldn't focus on ratings and rankings. We should focus on development, on improving every time you step foot on a tennis court. But at some point, results have to matter. They have to become important and ratings and rankings become important. What is that point at which those things need to really be studied and evaluated in order to make decisions about whether to go to college, to turn pro, to play club tennis in college, to give it up altogether. You know, how do you how do you know when it's time to start focusing on results and ratings and rankings? Sure. So, you know, for for a male player, I believe that you'll know if 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 a certain individual is on a pro track by the time I'd say they're 16 or 17 years old. How? I'd say that how I would say based on, you know, based on results, um, you have to understand that, you know, maybe, maybe not so, so many Americans, but, you know, players from foreign countries, they're playing pro tennis at 16 years old. And we're concerned with, you know, who's going to win the next national. Right. And so you're talking about apples and oranges. Right. And I can talk about this for hours, but we're not going to. Right. But, you know, really you know, results do matter and you know whether that particular player or student is on a professional track and they have the desire and they're willing to put in the work and that, you know, another thing is, are they capped, right? And and what does it mean when they're capped? So capped means like, I'm not sure that they can really get much better. They've really peaked and it's it's about as good as they're going to be. Maybe they can get a little bit better, but, you know, I don't see a lot of room for improvement. That could be. For females, it could be a little bit younger, you know, for a male, you know, I'd say 16 or 17 for girls, I don't know, maybe 14, 15 years old, you know, give Mm -hmm. or take. Um, So you'll, you, you, you know, as a coach and and someone, you know, I was brought up with professionals from when I was six years old, 
right? So I was in that arena and I was around two very well-known Argentine coaches that were producing professional players and the best elite amateurs in the country and in the world. So, you know, I, I was, I was around that. So that that was special, but you know, there's a lot that needs to be in place for a certain player to really thrive on the WTA tour or the ATP tour. Mm -hmm. And I mean, what's interesting is, you know, you talk about the cap, but the top players in the world, whether they're the top juniors, the top professionals, top college players, they're constantly improving, right? I mean, even, you know, I, I've been following Rafael Nadal for, I don't know how long since he came on tour and I'm a huge fan. And one of the reasons that I'm such a huge fan is he is continuing to improve aspects of his game year by year by year, even now winning his 21st slam, we saw things on the court during the Australian open that were new for him and different mindset, different tactics, different ways of approaching the game. And I just think it's phenomenal when you see somebody at the top of the sport continuing to improve and work on their game. And then you hear from some of these young juniors that say, oh, yeah, my technique's perfect or, yeah, my fitness is set, you know, or whatever it is. And I just kind of shake my head a little bit. Sure. Well, it's first and foremost, mindset, right? Like you brought up right? Is that individual willing to work with the proper mentality to continue to get better each and every day they get on the court or they go and do physical fitness or recovery or, you know, whatever it is, their warm up or what, whatever it is, they're continually trying to improve their skills. And right. so that's what's been so special about you know, Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer throughout the years and Andy Murray and right. And so, you know, that that's what makes them so special. But also keep in mind that they have a team around them that has been put together strategically to help them achieve this. Right. And so it's very, very difficult to do this on your own. And so there's a whole financial aspect to this. There's management. There's proper training at certain times. There's, like I said, there's training blocks. There's blocks for physical fitness. Everything is monitored for these really high level professional players. And so when you start speaking about, you know, maybe an 18 year old that wants to turn pro or maybe someone out of college that wants to turn pro, just understand that that's what these professionals have. And that's why they're thriving in, in a very, very challenging sport. Well, we just, you know, a few weeks ago heard Cece Bellis retire because of ongoing injuries. She's the perfect example in my mind of a player who showed incredible promise at a very young age. She was winning, you know, the 18s at 14 years old, um, beating the top 18 year olds in the country at 14 years old having opportunities to train against and play against some of the top professional players, some of the top college players as you know, in her younger years and sadly just got waylaid by injury and finally made the decision to, to step away from a professional tennis career. But, you know, she's one of these people that you looked at her and she had a full ride offer at Stanford 
decided at the last minute not to go and to turn pro. It, I, you know, from where I was sitting, and I'm certainly not anywhere near her inner circle and have no idea about the conversations that were going on at the dinner table in the Bella's household, but that had to have been a really tough decision to make. Sure. All right. So here we go. All right. <laughs> because uh, I thought I'd open the door for you. <laughs> yeah. Right. So now parents, are you ready? Okay. So, you know, and, and keep in mind, I mean, she was a incredible amateur at a, at a very young age. You know, I, I felt like I was on a pro track starting at 16, 17 years old. I started playing pro tennis at 16 by myself on the road, right. Being thrown out there and say, Hey, go win. Right. And so here's what needs to be in place. Okay. So, you know, a girl like CC Bellis or, you know, maybe a, a male player, you know, who is tremendous, say, you know, it could be an Alcaraz or a Yannick Sinner or, you know, any of these players mm-hmm. that, you know, Sebi that, Korda. that yes, yeah, Sebi Korda. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, there are a bunch of them. Right. And so I can tell you that most of them are not thinking college, you know, okay. They're brought up to be a professional tennis player. There is no plan B. Mm-hmm. Okay. That may be tough for American, you know, families or other families to, to, um, accept, but, but that's how it is. And so what I say to my, to the families, when, when I'm consulting with them, or maybe they're in my arena and they want to understand what professional tennis is say, okay, so here's what you're about to give up. All right, here we go. I see you smiling. I know. So, Cause I know what's coming <laughs> because yeah, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you know. Yeah, <laughs> right. Good. So, and here's how it was for my pro career. Pierre told me, I'm going to give you five years. Now, obviously, I didn't have the financial backing that that's, that some of these or, or many of these players have. So when you start talking about the, the team that you need assembled to do this properly, to give that individual the best chance to have a professional tennis career, you're talking, I would say, 750000 to a million dollars over five years. And keep in mind, don't expect a return. So that could be from an investor. It could be from a federation or it could be maybe your parents could afford that. Mm -hmm. Okay. That gives the best chance of having, you know, it could be obviously the tennis coach, the the personal, you know, the physical trainer. Um, Maybe, maybe you need a mental coach. It could be a nutritionist, massage therapist. I mean, you name it. Right. Right. And so. And you're talking travel costs. You're talking, yeah, traveling 30 30 plus weeks a year. Right. Right. And the, and, and, you know, and your team better be very experienced. I'm not talking about grabbing a college kid and saying, Hey, come travel with me. I'm talking about an experienced tour coach and physical trainer that understands how to produce professionals and how to manage their career and when to play, when not to play, what surfaces to play on, um, where to travel to, what to eat, how to sleep, um, you know, you, you, you name it, you, you have to be all in. Right. And, and so and let me just interrupt you one second, because what we see a lot of times, especially here in the States, and I'm not as well versed in what happens in other countries around the world, but here in the States, we see a lot of kids come out of college tennis, decide they're going to try their hand on the pro tour, which is you 
played pro events as a 16 year old, but then you went to college and then went back out on tour. So the ones that are going out on tour after college may not have that kind of backing. They are trying to do it on their own. Maybe they're traveling with a buddy. Maybe they're sharing the cost of a coach or the cost of a physio, um, you know, staying in hotel rooms, you know, two to a room or three or four to a room to save on costs. It's, it almost seems like they're playing at being professional tennis players rather than committing. And I, I'm, I know I'm going to get some flack for saying this, but if you don't go all in, then how do you know if you have what it takes to make it? Well, you're, 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 you're describing me a bit. Why do you have to do that to me? I'm so sorry. But I mean, what I see is so much is these kids want to maybe delay the inevitable of having to get a nine to five or, you know, finding another role in tennis as a way to earn a living. Um, And I get that. I mean, I get it. 22, 23, you know, taking a year and trying your hand one year. I understand. But the ones that are continuing to stay out there. And not, they don't have the resources to support them. That just seems, I don't know, like a a lesson in futility. Well, you know, if you're going to try pro tennis, you're not a professional tennis player. You know, what what, what I'm speaking about is- That's interesting. Okay, say that one more time. If you're going to- If you're going to try pro tennis- that is not your profession. Okay. You're because you're not, you're, you're not going to do it at the level of what a true professional does it at every single day. And I mean, are you trying to be a doctor? Are you trying to be an attorney? Are you trying to be a business person or that is your profession? Mm. That's what you do to earn a living. Mm -hmm. That's, that's different mentality. But you know, if, if we go back to, you know, do I turn pro at 18 or, or I go to college, you know, is that individual willing to take that chance to turn down that amazing scholarship to Stanford, like CC Bellis, or maybe going to Harvard or UVA or Duke, or, you know, one of these tremendous institutions. So, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, when, when I was coming through amateur tennis, everything was laid out but laid out by my coach, Pierre, who had a lot of experience in this. So when I turned professional, it was not a big risk for me. Right. And I wasn't able to do it the right way because we didn't have the financial backing. Mm -hmm. Right. And so all my college, I actually had three free colleges paid for when I turned pro. Okay. And so, and I could go back and finish whenever I wanted. Okay. That's plan B. I'm going to tell you that a true professional is not thinking plan B. Right. And I started pro career because I had so many injuries at 26 years old. And I've told my students, if I was from Serbia, Croatia, you know, a different country, maybe Argentina or wherever I'm having a hip surgery or two, and I'm going back out to play, but because life in the United States is so good, I could go get a teaching job, finish my college degree and earn a great living. Yeah. Right. I had a plan B, yeah. which is not, but that's not what many of the professionals are thinking. And so, you know, that, that's, 
that's really what, what you're, you know, what you're up against, you know, and I can tell you that there are days, you know, where you're getting up out of bed and because you didn't have the personal trainer and the massage person, you're having trouble walking and you have to go win. And when it's your profession, you have to win or you don't have a job. Okay. Right. And that, that that's Sorry, a whole my, uh, my different thing. Is in here. I have to turn it off. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no problem. So, you know, so that, that's really what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It is. I mean, it is, it's a totally different mindset of, I have a, an alternate route if this doesn't work out versus this is my route period. The end, if I fail, I, I fail. I, I have nowhere else to go. Yeah. I mean, when, when I was growing up and training, I would go to training knowing that, you know, this is what I'm best at. This is how I'm going to earn a living. And, you know, for, for someone who is really all into pro tennis, mm-hmm. academics take, take a little bit of a backseat, you know, sure. parents don't hear this. Right. But, but that's how it is. Right. I mean, that, that's how it is for these players that you're seeing on TV. They're not thinking of really going to college, you know, except for maybe, I think I'm not, I'm not sure I haven't counted. Maybe that's those six or seven males that are top hundred in the world that happen to go to college. And then usually what is it? Maybe three or four, you know, females that went to college, um, you know, on the, on the WTA tour. Yeah. Look at Danielle Collins. Sure. Got to the finals of the Australian open this year, you know, went to college, won the NCAAs twice, you know? Um, but, but that's a, that's an outlier you're saying you're you're talking about over 90% of males and females did not go to college. And I love college, right? Over 90% did not. But so what's interesting is especially, well, even non-Americans. So I know for a fact, Sitsipas was being recruited to play college tennis. Riley Opelka was being recruited to play college tennis. Tommy Paul um, mm-hmm. I, I, I know I'm missing some, but I mean, these boys were recruited to play and were on the fence about whether to go to college and stay there for a year or two or three, um, versus going right out on tour and made the decision to go out on tour as opposed to going to college. If you had been their coach, their parents at that stage where they were making that decision, what would have told you college is not the right move for this particular player at this particular time? It's time to try your, try it. And I hate to say try it, but no, you are bound for the professional tennis life. Sure. So I'm looking at their mentality. I'm looking at their day in and day out work ethic. I'm looking at their maturity. Um, I'm looking at their backing. So they had backing from the, from the USTA. Okay. So, well, not Sissipas because he's Greek, no, but, right. but yeah, if we're talking about Tommy Paul and Riley yeah. Pelka, they, they're, I know them very well. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they were trained, you know, right down the street from me here in South Florida. Yeah. Um, you know, I've had, you know, students of mine, they've, they've come over, you know, then, and they've come and practiced and whatever, you know, right. but you know, so to me, if, if I, if I was guiding them and I, and they had all that backing 
as their coach, I would make sure that their college is paid for, right? Mm -hmm. Before they turn pro. And if they have that backing that they can do it the right way, go for it. And they've had the results, right? I I believe that. Um, I don't know if college would offer, you know, much to them Mm -hmm. because, you know, it's, it's, it, it's on the table. It's, it's there. Right. Right. But if they didn't have that backing or maybe they had injuries or what, or setbacks or whatever it is, then college would have been a good option, but they, but they didn't. And so now you see that, that they're having a very nice career and they're doing well and, and, and everything, which is, which is fantastic. Right. Mm -hmm. But, and, and they're very solid professional players. Right. Right. And I know, I mean, I don't know Tommy's family, but I, I, Definitely know Riley's parents are, you know, unbelievably supportive of him. And, you know, they they provided a very solid foundation um, ethically, morally, um, all of that. So, you know, the decision was, I'm sure, a tough one. And I know his parents, Riley's parents are huge college tennis fans. And I, you know, it was a really tough decision to make for them. But for most kids, I mean, when you're looking at Riley, you're looking at a kid who's what, seven feet tall. I mean, he's gigantic young man, not a young man anymore. He's a man now. Um, And, you know, had the physical ability to go out there and really make waves. But for somebody that doesn't have that height advantage, um, maybe it's a little bit tougher decision. And and on the female side too, like, I don't know. I just, I see a lot of the kids playing these top national events and, you know, talking about this dilemma of, do I go to college? Do I turn pro? And I, I just think it's such a tough call to make. Of course, you know, from where I sit, not being a coach, I'm always like, you got to go to college for at least a year. Like (laughs) there's no downside to going for at least one year. Sure. So, but here, here's another thing is that when you look at great players on the, on the tour, right. You know, here, here in America, we're concerned with who's winning the next super national, right. Who's the next superstar winning the super national personally, if I'm if I'm going to invest my hard-earned dollars into someone that I, you know, think you know is you know can can be you know a great professional player, I want to see their professional results by the time they're 18. Mm-hmm. Okay, and whether you're going to go to college or turn pro, you're going to be playing that type of level. Mm-hmm. So that that's a tell telltale sign as well because. When, when a player is struggling in futures type tournaments and, you know, they're 16 to 18 years old, that's a level of college tennis. So that tells you right then and there, we're not ready yet. Okay. Well, maybe more time, maybe it's mental, physical, you know, maybe it's your game, you know, what, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Right. So like I always said that the, the results will tell you that that particular player is, is ready. And then you have to physically see if they can, you know, withstand everything, you know, that the tour, you know, puts on you as well. So, you know, can they handle the losing, right? You have, you know, amateurs that rarely ever lose. Right. Then you go on the tour, you're going to lose almost every single week. Right. 
Okay. So that's very difficult. I can, you know, I can tell you all about that as well. Right. You may think that you're amazing in your country and you are, but you're going to play the best Serbian. You're going to play the best Croatian. You're going to play the best Argentine. You're going to play the best, best Japanese player. And they're all the best in their country and they don't care how you did in junior tennis. And they may be 10 years older than you. (laughs) Correct. There were times I played, you know, guys that were the, the best junior in the world and we could care less. It made it, we were all the great juniors, right? So it didn't, yeah. it did, you know, it, 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 it means honestly, it means nothing. Right. <laughs> when you go to the professional arena it means nothing. <laughs> They've so all done I, it. So again, Todd, if we're at this crossroads of, you know, I'm a really good player at 16, I'm, you know, winning matches, I'm, very highly ranked, let's say top five, 10 in the age group in in the U S and the college coaches are coming. They're interested in me. I'm not sure if that's the route I want to take. Maybe I want to turn pro. What do you do at age 16 to help make that decision? Sure. So I believe you still play June, you know, some junior events. Right. Is it necessary to play ITF junior events and put yourself out there internationally? We've been over this on previous podcasts. I know, but I'm just bringing it up again. Okay. So I believe that you want to get exposed to playing men and women in professional events. I don't care if you're playing ITFs. I don't care if you're playing super nationals. I want to see if you can beat men and women in pro events when they're fighting for money and points. Mm-hmm. That's when you know what you have. And if so, that- so not necessary to travel to play ITF juniors. You would rather see some a 16-year-old playing professional tournaments against people that are trying playing. to pay their bills by playing tennis. Playing adults. So- I hear all the time, got this one's playing ITFs. We got to go play ITFs. We got to do it. We got to do it and everything. No, you don't. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now. No, you don't. Yeah. You don't need to play that to play college. You don't need to play that to play professional tennis. You need to be good. <laughs> right. Right. And there's no one, one right path to do it. Yannick Sinner barely played juniors. These guys were playing professional tennis, I believe at 15 or 16 years old, and they were winning challengers. Forget the futures. They were making inroads in challengers. Felix Augur Alassim, he was playing in challengers at 14 years old that I did well in, and he was making the semifinals at 14. I hadn't even won a sectional tennis tournament in Florida at 14, and he was already beating guys 100 to 200 in the world. So now, okay, but so now the flip side of that, though, Todd, is this whole notion of if you're 14 playing those events, there's no pressure on you. Nobody expects you to do well. Nobody expects you to go out there and win these matches. So you go out, you play freely. If you lose, so what? Right. Whereas if you're doing this at 18, 19, 20 in lieu of going to college, now the pressure's on. That's a very different situation, don't you think? Depends how mature that individual is, right? Can they handle it or they can't? Yeah. Because at the pro level, everybody's trained thousands of hours. They've all put in the physical work. They put in the tennis work tactically, 
technically, they're obviously good if they're going to be able to play at that level. Sure. Then what do you have here? Can you handle the pressure? And, and what we used to say on tour is some players find ways to win. Some players find ways to lose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Be plenty yeah. of players in positions at all levels. And you're like, gosh, they should have won that match. And they find a way to lose. Usually, you know, maybe making bad choices or choking or whatever it is. You saw with Rafael Nadal and Medvedev in the final. Yeah. Two sets of, I wake up at six in the morning. I'm watching Medvedev. He's about to go up a break in the third set. And he cracked mentally and then choked. Yeah. And he's two in the world. So you see it at every level. He found a way, actually. I mean, we love Rafa, in my opinion. He found a way to lose that match. He cracked. And tremendous for fighting and everything. But that's what I was watching. Hmm. Okay. But you know, that, that's what it is. Can you win and can you handle the pressure or, or you cannot, can you continue to improve? Right. Yeah. I mean, many of your viewers know that Sun Wu Kwan, right. You, you interviewed Daniel, you in my house, I was sitting yeah. right next to him. Yeah. And Wu Kwan made a great jump last year, starting in the nineties Had won a couple of titles. He won a big challenger beating Musetti, another youngster that we could bring up as well. Yeah. Right. Who's this, he beat Musetti and then he won a, an ATP title later on in, in the year. And so, but I continually saw him improve mm. on certain aspects in his game and physically that warranted those results. But keep in mind, he's spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on his team. Yeah. Every single year, every week of the year. And, and it's, I mean, I, it's not hundreds of thousands of dollars from prize money that he's earned because he's not at that level yet. It's from his prize money. It is from his prize money. He's making that much now. Yeah. Well, at 50 in the world. Yes. Okay. Okay. So, well, you're, but, you're- uh, but so prior to, to this last year though, that funding wasn't coming out of prize money. Uh, yes. He gets he gets some money from a team that he plays for. He has uh, endorsements from Fila, but it's coming out of prize money as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not easy. Right. Well, my not point easy. being that until you are in the top hundred, it's very difficult to financially support your career on prize winnings, as opposed to <clears throat> excuse me, as opposed to sponsors or friends and family or whoever else is helping you. Yeah. Federation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Very, very tough. So, but also keep in mind, this is another tough part of it is that the better you get, the more you need to invest. Right. Right. That that's, that's another thing. Well, the margins get smaller and smaller, the higher up you go in the rankings. Right. You know, so maybe, you know, you could get to say 150 in the world with, you know, maybe not having a coach every week or not having the physio every week, but then to make the next jump, you need to invest more to try to make the next jump in say top hundred or top 50 in the world, right? It's all an investment into your career. It would, it's the same as any other business. You're investing in that business to make more money and have a thriving business. It's the same. Well, you have to look at it, I think, like paying to go to medical school or paying to go to law school or business school, right? It's the first years on tour are the school that you're paying for. You're getting the education 
And then hopefully your earnings will be exponentially higher after that initial schooling period is over to repay that investment and then some and, you know, to be able to live off of it. Absolutely. I mean, you know, everybody invests in their business. I invest in my business. Parents invest in, I invest in my coaches for them to do a very good job. Right. 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 You know, everybody invests in, in, in their business. You have to spend money to make money. Right. And so, you know, when, when you go back to, you know, when you go back to how much money are these professionals really making once you know, if they're top hundred, top hundred is the golden place to be. Yeah. Right. But once you start taking taxes out, paying for your coaching, paying for their travel, paying for the physio, paying for all that, you know, not yeah. so easy right. making what they're making in other sports. So let's go back to Bruno Kuzuhara, which is kind of how we started this conversation. And again, Bruno's the young man who won the Australian Open Junior Singles Boys title this year, 2022. He's an American player. He um, is from Florida. He, My understanding is he trains at the Nadal Academy, but I'm not sure if it's a, a campus in the States or if he goes to Spain to train. I, I, I just don't know. But um, so here's a kid who's won. We had an American win junior Wimbledon boys last year too. Samir Banerjee won. Um, Samir also, he's from the Northeast and, you know, trains here in the States. And so both of these boys have these huge decisions to make, I would guess, um, very soon, whether they're going to go to college or whether they're going to go on tour and commit to playing professionally. How do they make that choice? I think they need a great team around them. And that's if they want to become professional players, right? Maybe not. I would, right. I would think they do, but maybe not. I don't, I, don't, I don't know them personally. The other thing is, is I look at it this way. If I was an investor, I would go watch them train. I watch what they're doing on a daily basis. I watch their game. You know, that's if I have a tennis background, mm-hmm. right? You know, I would like to see what weapons they have in their game. I want to see their mental toughness. I want to see what kind of work they're going to put in every day. I want to see their mentality. I want to know if they love to travel. I want to know if they can play on all surfaces. I want to know a lot of different things about them. Yeah. Right. Fair. To make that investment. If I'm if if I'm an investor, you know, about to, you know, pay for their career. Right. Right. The chance to to do it. You know, I may I may I may not like what I see. Right. I may love it and say this is a can't miss prospect. And again, we're talking a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars a year to be out there with no return for the first bunch of years. Right. Keep that in mind. Right. And so even the wealthy of the wealthy. Right. When you say, hey, you're not going to get a return on your money. As far as I know, the wealthy people that I know, they always really, you know, they're there to make money, yeah. right? They didn't be wealthy by not making money. So that could be a Nike, that could be an Adidas, it could be companies, whatever it is. That's an investment. They want to make money. They're not just giving it as a gift, mm-hmm. right? right? Your parents, they may be gifting you, <laughs> right? <laughs> Maybe. But not you know, a company is doing it, you know, for other reasons, Mm -hmm. right? 
know, or an investor. And sometimes guys and gals on tour, they've signed contracts where there's a return once they get to a certain level. Right. And once they get to a certain level, there's a big return and they're still not making that much money. That's another thing, right? So that that's oof, tough too, because they think they've made, made it to the show and they have, but their bank account isn't reflecting that they got to pay back a lot of, a lot of money. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting. Let's, let's go back to Danielle Collins for a second. You know, we saw her playing in the finals of the Australian open women's singles with no sponsor. She right. doesn't have a clothing sponsor. Yeah. How, how does that happen? It all depends on whether the companies think that player is marketable. Right. The racket she uses, are people going to buy the racket that, that, that she uses now, you know, online or, or in pro shops, mm-hmm. are they going to buy the outfits that she's wearing, you know, when, when they go and sponsor her and then, and they, and they give her money, right. Plus, you know, you know, you know, endorsement money and then bonuses based on places of finish, you know, in tournaments and everything. Right. Yeah. Are people going to buy Daniel Collins shirt? and skirt and all these things because she's wearing it. Right. That's enough. So that, that depends on the companies, right? Do they think that's so, you know, they think that player is going to, you know, take their, their line of clothes or rackets or shoes or whatever to the next level and, and, and make money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, it is a business. And I think, you know, a lot of times we forget that, especially when it's our kid who says, I want to go try my hand at pro tennis. Um, it's a business out there. There are people out there literally trying to support their families by winning tennis matches. And they're not going to give anything away on a day, you know. This is why we have the issues around betting in tennis, you know, where betting organizations are paying athletes to throw matches and things like that. It's it's a nasty, nasty little secret. Maybe it's not so secret of professional tennis. Um, But, you know, these athletes are struggling out there. And unless they have a big bankroll behind them to support them as they learn and get to a place where they are profitable as professional tennis players, it's a tough road. Yeah. And, you know, I can tell you, you know, how it was for my pro career. It was, it was basically as simple as this with what I had, you know, discussions with Pierre and everything. And he had brought me up from a beginner, right. Mm -hmm. Is that you're going to play for five years. And if you're not top hundred in five years, whether you're not good enough whether you're injured too much, whether you don't want to travel, whatever it is, you're done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're going to walk away. I played a sixth year because, you know, I had a lot of injuries. I wanted to give it one more chance. Right. And, and really injuries derailed my career. Plus, you know, financially, you know, I wasn't able to do it right. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, many other players can, can do. Um, but that's, that's how, that's how it was, you know, you know, that, that, that's just, that was the commitment right? That's how long we gave it, you know? So I believe that's, that's a good amount of time to understand that, Hey, this player can be a top 50. This player can be a top 20. This could be, this player can be a top hundred. Right. And then you have to think, I mean, you know, personally, I think I could have stayed out there for more years and and been a top hundred player. I beat numerous top hundred players and top 50 and whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. But then you start thinking about, okay, I haven't finished my college degree. Right. 
Um, I'm going to need to get my first job at what age? Right. And I'm not making enough money to retire. Right. So all those well, and things- you wanted to get married, you wanted to have a family, you had to be able to figure out how that was all going to work from a financial standpoint. Right. You know, so, yeah, I mean, when you're trying to win matches, you're not thinking of the family, you're thinking about how I'm going to have a profitable business on the road here. Right. I mean, I get it. But at the same time, that's, you know, you come it's from a nice family part- and yeah, it's part of the decision making. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and so. You know, when when you start thinking of of all of these things, right? And and you and you make it to the big show. I mean, if 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 you go to any player and say, "Hey, you became a top hundred tennis player. You're amazing," and everything, that's a it's a tremendous achievement. Mm-hmm. But you have to be top fifty in the world for probably about ten years. Don't get injured, right? To really be able to put some serious money to the side. And, you know, not maybe not have to work ever again or else right. the rest be, you know, you're going to be looking for another occupation. Well, and that's the thing, too, is, you know, top 50, you're earning enough money, but you're not getting the big sponsorship checks no. at that level. Right. That's no. only maybe the top five, maybe. Right. Unless it's somebody with a lot of personality that just draws sponsors. So, you know, we all look at Serena and Venus and Naomi Osaka and Ash Barty and Rafa and Roger and Novak and Andy. We look at all of them and think, oh, my God, they're gajillionaires, you know, but let's look at that next tier of players. Are they making that kind of money? And the answer is probably not. No, they're 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 not. They're, They're doing well. It also depends on where you're from. Mm hmm. Right. It depends which country you're from. Sure. Right. If, if you're the number one from Japan, like K Nishikori. Right. Tremendous. Right. If you're, yeah. if you're, you're the number one from the United States of America where tennis isn't as popular, you're not going right. to be on every commercial and billboard. Then, you know, it, 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 it could be a little, it's, you know, it's, it's not going to pan out that well. Right. So it just really depends on the country. Right. I mean, if you're Sun Wukwan, number one from South Korea, mm-hmm. I think that's going to pay off pretty well. He continues yeah. to climb. He's going to be just fine. Right. You know, but, you know, it's it's it, it really all depends. If you're number one from Argentina, that, that could be tough. Maybe there's no money for tennis in yeah. that country, which it's struggling. Right. Yeah. So, it you know, a lot, a lot of there's factors involved. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. So I think, Todd, really the bottom line with all of this and when we're you know, going back to Bruno and, and Samir and, um, you know, these are our, our latest American boys who have won slam singles and doubles um, is everybody is really good at tennis at, at the professional level. And the difference maker seems to be from where I'm sitting and from what you're saying, do you have the financial backing And do you have the mental and emotional um, commitment and strength to go out there day after day after day after day and do the work that it takes to climb the ladder? And it, in most cases, it's a slow climb. 
they're very rarely do we see kids come out and just boom, they're at the top of the game. I mean, just even thinking about Rafael Nadal, like Le Petit A just concluded, which is a big tennis Europe competition for 14 and under players. And they've been tweeting out past champions and footage from past champions and all that. Rafael Nadal has been at this since he was a, a young kid. So the fact that we saw him at 17 making huge waves in the professional tennis world, that doesn't even begin to tap the surface of what he had been doing 10 years prior already. Of course. I mean, you know, the, the kids are growing up dreaming of, of pro tennis in, 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 you know, in my time, which wasn't that long ago, there are still guys on tour that, that are competing that I competed against. It was Andy Roddick. Yeah. Okay. So Andy Roddick was, you know, the, the golden child. Right. Right. And trust me, he was trained to be a pro at a very young age. We all yeah. were <laughs> yeah. right. That that's what was on our mind. Every single day we went to training, we went, we went to train to become a professional. And Andy Roddick was one of those at 17, 18 years old. You were like, Whoa, yeah, he's a, He's already top 50 in the world at 18 years old. He's smoking everyone in junior tennis. Juniors can't play with him. Forget it. That's he's way beyond that. Right. And, you know, he made, you know, a huge ascent to the, you know, number one in the world. Right. Right. And, you know, I saw it and I trained with him many, many times. So, you know, that's, that's how, that's how it is. I mean, you're, you're all in or mm, eh, eh, you're, you're just <laughs> on traveling and playing some tennis. And let me just say that just because you don't want to make that commitment, you you would rather be on the college tennis pathway. That's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. It takes a huge commitment even to have the opportunity to play in college. And there's so much to be said for these kids that put the work in, earn the, the opportunity to play collegiate tennis and then go on to have great careers in all sorts of fields out there, whether it's tennis related or not. So I don't want those of you watching or listening to this this week to think that we're saying that college tennis is the fallback or the, the second best. It's not. It takes a tremendous effort and a, a tremendous commitment to get to college tennis too. It's just a different path. If you're going to be a professional player to earn your living on the tennis court, competing week after week after week. And there are lots and lots of players who go to college and transition and have successful careers as professional players. But the majority of the successful professional players have made that commitment to be pro from a very young age, as Todd's been talking about. Am I summarizing that correctly? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think this show was, was, you know, just about, you know, what the players, how they're committed to becoming a professional, right? And, and what they've gone through and what they are going through, how we can appreciate you know, the sacrifice that they're making, whether it's the educational part, you know, they're, they're all in 
And that's their profession. That's their job. That's their career. That's that's what they're going to be doing. Riley Opelka, yeah. Tommy Paul, Francis TFO. They are not thinking of their next career. They are all in to their professional tennis career and hopefully playing till they're, you know, say 35, 40 years old, however long they can, they can hold up physically and want to do it for. Right. But that, that's, that's what it is, you know? And, and so, you know, that, that was not decided overnight. That was training and results over a, many years that said, Hey, you have the, you have the ability, you have the chance to really take this to the highest level if you want to, and you enjoy that life and you have the backing. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I love and- College tennis to me, that's the basis of my business is, you know, taking junior players and putting them and helping them set, you know, go off to their, you know, their ideal college, have a great experience and have a great job. That's the basis of my business. And every once in a while I have a pro prospect, but you know, a pro prospect is that's different, mm-hmm. right? That right. mentality that training and intensity level and work ethic is different. It just is. It's just, if you're trying to become the best, you can be to the highest, highest level of, of the sport. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having this conversation with me, Todd. This has been fun. And I, you know, we don't talk a lot about turning pro on this podcast because the majority of kids that are picking up tennis are, are learning it to, be great junior players, be great college players, and then parlay that into a career somewhere else, um, whether it's related to tennis or not. And every now and then I get to talk professional tennis and, and it's, it's very interesting and, and always fun to hear your perspective on that. Um, if people want to reach out to you, Todd, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. They could email me at Todd at TWTennis.com or I know a bunch of your viewers, they like to see my social media. Yeah. They may see no players training. They may see me hitting balls, maybe with Sun Wukwan. That's always that's always fun when when Daniel Yu brings me in to have a hit or or help out a little bit. So that's fun for me to get back into that for the day or a couple of days. Um, you may see me commentating workouts of my students that, you know, I believe are great, you know, it's great information for mm-hmm. parents to hear about, you know, what these particular students are working on in my, uh, my little private school here in South Florida. And, uh, but yeah, you could find me on Instagram at uh, Todd Whittem underscore tennis, or you can find me on Facebook at Todd Whittem. And, uh, but, but yeah, that's how you get in touch with me. And I've had a bunch of your viewers, you know, come visit us in, in yeah. Florida. I think they've enjoyed their time here. So it's for been, sure. it's been great. For great. Sure. For sure. Well, thanks for coming back on. And I promise it won't be so long before the next one. We'll do another one soon. But uh, it's always nice to see you and always nice to have a conversation with you. Likewise. It was great. Thanks. And to my listeners and viewers, thank you so much for tuning in. We will catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, buy a tennis If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at ParentingAces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.